Matthew, it's a pleasure to uh, join you today. Uh, my name is Robert Boyd. I'm the president and CEO of Endurance Gold Corporation. Uh, and Endurance Gold uh, is an early stage venture capitalized uh, junior mining company exploring for uh, gold primarily uh, in Canada and the US. Our prime project is a project that we've got outside of Vancouver, which we're active on at the present time. Fantastic. Company so, well, yeah. look, look, Robert, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of jump in there. I'm, look, th thanks sure. for the, the introduction. It's the first time we've met or spoken, so I'm kind of keen to get to know you. Interesting, interesting story, some, um, some nice uh, headlines that we've been uh, looking at as well. So look, why, don't, why don't we kind of kick off with you? I mean, what, what's your background story relevant to what you're doing now? Well, I've been in the business for about 40 years. Uh, my uh, strength is early stage exploration. Uh, that's uh, what I've done for most of my career. I spent about 10 years with Homestake Mining Company running their Canadian gold exploration program, but uh, I've also uh, was the president and CEO of a diamond exploration company that made a diamond discovery in Quebec and that was sold and is uh, that mine is now in operation and uh, been involved uh, in other commodities as well. But uh, uh, my career is the business of mineral exploration uh, for my whole, whole life. I'm a geologist. Uh, trained with an undergraduate degree with a with a uh, business uh, business degree at one of these uh, uh, business uh, 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 mills. Okay, so um, tell me about um, who's supporting you. Who's who's in the team? You know, because it's relatively small. Um, what are you? So about it's a fifty million market cap. What are you? In fact, what are you doing, Robert? I want to. I'm intrigued. You seem immune to market conditions. Your share price isn't doing what others are. What's happening? Yes, we are market capitalized around $50 million, but it's partly because we've had a lot of success on our mineral exploration program that we're conducting now in Southern BC. Right. So we've been getting very good drill intersections. In fact, we released some really good ones this morning, uh, which included numbers like uh, uh, 3.89 grams over 30.5 uh, meters and uh, another one in there at 18 grams over uh, six, or six, six grams over 18 meters. So really, really good hit. So we're delivering those kind of results pretty consistently. Um, the company is tightly held. Uh, right. There's three of us, three of us uh, directors that own uh, about 55% of the company. I own about 6%. And then two other directors own collectively about 50% to American directors. But we've seen, we've seen um, that. Sorry, I, I want to stick on this subject because it's kind of, kind of, I just looked at your share chart and went, what? Um, because yeah. even tightly held companies, there's the smallest amount of trading has seen them trade down in, in, in kind of big steps. So, um, is, why don't we talk about the, the business plan and, and the strategy? Because maybe that's the basis on which you're doing it, or maybe it's because you guys are out in the, you're in the market buying as well. I, I'm sort of really genuinely intrigued with that because the people in your position putting out big high grade numbers in their headlines and the market's just gone, I don't care, right? So I'm, I'm intrigued about what you were doing differently. So should we start with the business plan? What, did you, what, what have you set out to actually do? The business got started back in 2005. Uh, I was not the CEO at the time. I joined the company back in 2008 as a director, as a technical director. Uh, but unfortunately in around 2010, 2011, the, the founding CEO passed away and uh, I stepped in as the uh, operating company at a time when I was expecting I would be moving into sort of semi-retirement uh, after some successes in my career. 
And uh, I've been kind of running the company uh, uh, since that time. And it was established with the goal of generating projects and, and identifying good opportunities. And we funded ourselves through the tough times uh, by identifying good assets and then selling them off. For instance, uh, uh, one of the projects we had was a, a large land position, the Rattlesnake Hills area, which combined and became part of GFG resources. Another was an identification of a Whitwaters Rand type gold discovery in, on, in Ontario, uh, which we had in our portfolio. And we uh, stepped down to a, a minority JV interest, and then we ultimately sold that. And we're now a shareholder in a company uh, that controls that project and is con conducting bulk sample programs on this kind of situation in, and that's right in in Ontario. So uh, so we we kind of generated projects, uh, brought them to a certain stage and then brought in partners or, or whatever. Uh, we've identified this project as an early stage when we, we picked into it uh, and just grabbed it in, in late 2019, early 2020. Uh, but we had some such encouragement on it, we decided that we're just going to continue and explore this and develop it ourselves. Uh, because it, it it's the best value for shareholders with the kind of success and, and exploration potential we saw when we saw uh, when we started drilling this project initially. Okay, so you saw you, the business sort of as a prospect generator or project generator uh, model, and you're selling stuff to well Rattlesnake. I think most people have heard of with GFG Resources, and also part a paleoplaster to Inventus mining. So that, that's kind of funded things along along the way. And so if you still got um, equity positions in, in both of those, would you sold uh, down? We, we have a small equity position in GFG. It's not significant. Right. Our, our exposure there is a royalty on the, on the, uh, on the, some of the claims in that rattlesnake district. Right. Uh, and then um, uh, our ownership interest in uh in the Pardo project uh, we vended it for shares uh in inventus and we still own uh, a number of shares in inventus we're just under 10 percent shareholder in inventus mining which is a company run out of rob McEwen's uh, yeah, shop yeah. and yeah. interestingly enough rob rob McEwen participated in our financing as a as an investor in uh, march of this year right the okay first time okay so th th that's the history are, are th so have you still got other projects within the portfolio which you could vend out or have others farm into? Was was that model now stopped? Well, we still have some other projects that okay. we're not active on spending dollars on. A really good uh, um, reduced intrusive type gold project in, in Alaska where we uh, did have an initial drill intersection of about 147 meters of 0.4 grams. That's, so elephant mount, the that's the Elephant Mountain project you're talking the about. Elephant Mountain project. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then, then we've got a rare earth uh, niobium project in the southeastern Yukon that's been somewhat idle uh, for a while. And, and uh, there is a certain contingent of our shareholders are anxious for us to do something like that. So we're looking at our strategic strategic options with respect to that project. And uh, But it, it's an early stage project that's pre-drill stage and it's still at that discovery stage. So Right, but it's got the big buzzword rare earths, which is kind of hot at the moment. Um, so I, I can see why people right. are a bit excited. But it's going to need what type of partner to come in? When you say you're keeping your options open, you're talking to people, what, what's that actually mean? One of the things we felt to do was just to advance it to the, to the stage of at least getting some permits. So we've got a class one permit, which allows us to do early stage type exploration on it. And we're considering moving forward on a class three, which gives us the potential to drill on the project. So in the meantime, uh, the type of work we might do is is uh, earlier stage type geophysics and some sampling and things like that, just to add an additional value to it. 
but the goal there would be to uh, identify a, um, a partner that brings strategic uh, advantages to the project. Uh, right. Either spin it out, spin it out as a separate entity, uh, uh, bring in a joint venture partner with an ultimate spin out at some point, or or, uh, or sell it uh, for shares uh, to to an entity that that that's in the business of of developing and. A rare earth project that is looking for a feedstock. Right. Okay. And I, 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 we've had some questions kind of sent in. It kind of shows that perhaps there's a, a range of understanding about the, the rare earth sector, China and ex China. Um, so I guess at, at the point where you're ready to talk about, you know, how, how you move that forward, I think there's a kind of an audience waiting and listening to see what you can do with that one. Because, because you're right, it, it needs to be a specialist. You've got the ability to actually unlock value and not just go through a kind of drilling process at the end there's going to be an end result um you know to, to the, we, we have a rare show weekly show on our platform where we sort of talk, talk about how you get these things going it's, it's truly fascinating so and, and, and what, what other projects have you got um in the, in the portfolio which might be vendor? well those, those are the two those are the two main ones Okay. Yeah, those are the two other ones. So, and we still retain a um, uh, a minor interest, uh, about a eighteen uh, percent JV interest in a project in Northern Ontario called uh, that we call the Flint Lake uh, JV. Uh, that's somewhat inactive now. Uh, it was vended off by the prime owner, uh, their their share, and not a lot's going on on that project. Uh, and then we have an, another uh, small ownership interest in a small uh, project in in a in um, in Alaska, called the Accord Project. So right. Okay. Those are the only ones, aside from the royalties, which we retain in Rattlesnake Hills and and one other Northern Ontario project where we retain our royalty. Okay. So let's say, I guess, I guess you know, just in terms of answering the question, you're you clear about what you're going to do with those two with with Reliance. Um, can you talk through where you're at? You obviously raised some money recently, um, which which is great, but you know. How do you allocate that? What do you do, especially in a market like this? You, you know, your share price is, like I say, extraordinary in the context of most companies that come on this show. Um, you, you seem to be managing it quite well, maybe because it's tightly held or maybe for other reasons. But what are you doing with the money that you raised recently? How are you allocating, allocating that? Our prime focus and our, our exploration and activity focus is entirely the Reliance project at the mm -hmm. present time. So the funds we raised in, in March was about 3 million. Uh, and I, as I mentioned, there was participation by Rob in that financing, but myself and the other insiders picked up a, a small uh, portions of that uh, as well. And, um, <clears throat> uh, but uh, it was, it was picked up with a 40 cent financing with a, 50 cent warrant, I think is the, the mm -hmm. numbers on that one. And so that that money together with our other working capital shares and everything puts us at the end of the first quarter with about 5.6 million in working capital. Yeah. Uh, so, and we're basically dedicating that and have committed that primarily uh, to an exploration program uh, on, on the Reliance project, which is continuing as we speak. We've just finished a phase of RC drilling on that, we we're testing the shallower oxidized targets with a dry RC technique. And then we transitioned in uh, late April into a diamond drilling program, or not late April, but uh, late May, um, uh, into a diamond drilling program uh, that uh, is conduct active right now where we've got about five holes completed so far and we're, we're testing the same zone now, but now with deeper penetrations with the diamond drill. 
where the RC was testing the shallower penetrations. And so shallow being what, how deep? We've got a zone now where we've got gold over about 1.5 kilometers of strike in bedrock and drill holes. Uh, <clears throat> but there's one key zone that we've had a lot of success on and the, and the RC drill was primarily dedicated to that zone. Uh, and that's where we're transitioning with the diamond drill at the present time. And that's the Eagle area zone. And that we've traced gold now in shallow intersections, typically less than uh, most of the intersections we've got on that zone are less than 30 meters below surface, some of them down to 10 meters below surface, including channel samples on surface. Uh, so everything, most of the drill intersections, whether they're diamond drilling or RC, are, are typically less than 50 meters below surface on that trend so far. So we're just literally scratching the surface at this point, understanding the limits of the system. And we've now tracked it out for about 400 meters. And the last holes we just reported this morning on our RC drilling indicate the system's open to the southeast. Uh, so now we now we transition to closing that system up <clears throat> off to the southeast and with the diamond drill chasing it at depth uh, with the diamond drill uh, to chase the system at depth. And it's a very encouraging looking orogenic gold system at a high level or epizonal type orogenic gold system. Uh, and we're in a camp uh, just 10 kilometers away from the Braylon Pioneer Mine, which has produced over 4 million ounces of gold, which is on a parallel structure. It's on a, we're on a separate structure, but it, we're in one of these orogenic camps. And it looks like we're in a higher level exposure of the same kind of system they have at Braylon. So we're up in a brittle deformation regime where you have a stibnite signature often associated with the gold, whereas they're in a mid-level uh, gold system where they have, uh, it's more crack and seal, narrower, high-grade veins, uh, uh, but they don't get the stibnite uh, signature. They still get the arsenic signature, but not the stibnite uh, signature to the same degree that you do with the epizonal equivalent. Right, so, so tell, tell this is kind of interesting, Rick. Right now, so you you kind of um, alternate between the RC and the diamond drill, depending on you know. Well, that's what you did last year, and it seems to me that's that's the way you're intending to go th this year. What historical data or what data sets that are, are out there? You, you you kind of mentioned you know Bray, Bray Lawn there and, and, and Goldbridge. Um, is there any anything that they're doing or have done that can inform? the targeting of where your drills go in terms of your drill program? Or is it you having to you know, do it off the back of your own data? I'm always intrigued by how you can interpret historical information to, to your benefit and maybe be a little bit smarter and a little bit more stupid with the allocation of capital. Well, that's that's a good question, Matthew. But, but essentially, the project that we optioned, uh, we optioned from a gentleman that's, that actually acquired the mineral claims to industry professionals that acquired the mineral claims just in 2018 and we optioned it late 2019. But there was quite a history to the project prior to that. Um, and uh, uh, the, the first history of documented was small little adits that chase little stibnite veins uh, uh, on the main structure that we're on now, but also on a parallel structure. And within the, the camp district, some of which we've acquired recently in a, in a new acquisition that we acquired. So there's a lot of little past production on these stibnite prospects, um, but they tended to be discontinuous types of veins. And it's, and it's because the stibnite that we see in this system seems to be a late phase of the mineralizing event that we're dealing with, which is primarily a breccia phase. And I think that, that portion of the breccia was overlooked by historic 
uh, uh, prospectors and, and explorers in the district. And that's, uh, and, uh, and when these things weather on surface, uh, they don't weather as, as, as an old quartz vein. It's just an oxidized outcrop that's just a mucky zone on surface. That's why they were overlooked. And occasionally there was a little stibnite vein sometimes in there and they would chase those little veins and they'd be discontinuous. Uh, but they should have been sampling the muck, mucky rock that was around it. And that's why we we started with RC drilling because when we exposed and saw these exposures on surface, they were so oxidized. We say, look, if we try to diamond drill this, we're not gonna get the recovery. So we started with a dry RC technique to test these shallow zones near surface. For instance, we channel sampled a road cut that was actually put in by a, a prospector that owned this property in 1985. He put this road in, exposed this road cut, but never sampled it because there was, there was no quartz veins and stuff in it. We channel sampled these things and we took on the property, just did the systematic work. And two of those road cuts, one of them ran 31.5 meters of 5.88 grams per ton on a horizontal channel sample in an upper bank of a road cut. And the other one was around 23.5 meters of 4.8 uh, 4 grams per ton. Uh, so these are zones sitting there on surface, but just weren't recognized. So the problem with the project is it had never seen the systematic work. So when we stepped in, took on the project, we did the systematic good uh, work that's, that's done by professional explorers, which is soil sampling, geophysics. Uh, there was never a soil sample for gold on the property. Uh, there were problems soil sampling in, in this area because uh, uh, there, there were technical challenges, and that's because a, a, a volcano blew up about 2,400 years ago and dropped this ash all over the property. So it created a problem in getting soil samples. So uh, that was a challenge for us. Um, so we, we uh, looked into the literature and based on the experience of myself and our, our Vice President of Exploration, Darren O'Brien, uh, uh, we looked into the, the history of, of what had been done to evaluate these kinds of situations. And we discovered that uh, there was some really good research done on, uh, uh, on the take up of arsenic uh, by Douglas fir uh, trees. And our property is covered with these Douglas fir trees. And so we, uh, we decided, okay, we'll do this biogeochem sample program, look for the arsenic anomaly, and then we'll go back into these areas where we see arsenic in the Douglas fir and test uh, those zones and do the, the work required to dig the pits through this popcorn ash to get down to do a soil sample survey. So that's the kind of systematic work we did. That's what identified the system now. It's got a two kilometer potential based on the geochemistry, both biogeochem and soil geochem. And we're just systematically doing that and following that zone along with our with opening up new trails uh, to identify uh, some of these targets uh, and, and create drill setups, uh, but also uh, uh, just the soil sampling that, that gave us the confidence to go in and put those trails in. Right. I mean, see, that's interesting to me. And, you know, you, you talk about this sort of episodial orogenic structure um, to these things, but orogenic typically is, well, you know, People tell it in a different way, but effectively, kind of lower grade but fairly homogeneous with these kind of high grade veins. Which you're, you're certainly your press releases and certainly some of the results coming from you. You know, you're, you're pointing to those for, for sure. So, 
but again, with the complications of a volcano blowing up, etc., it seems like an unconventional orogenic structure at surface. But do, do you, are you seeing with some of the deeper drilling a more conventional ore body, an orogenic ore body, or not? Well, the Bra the Braylorn mine is a conventional ore ore body in terms of the orogenic classification system, right? So it would be similar to the mother load in California and maybe the engineer mine in northern. Uh, British Columbia. So it's in a younger package of rocks that hosts these orogenic type gold systems. Right. But the, there's a much better chance of the higher levels of these younger orogenic uh, gold systems being preserved in when they're in a younger setting like uh, um, um, Western Canada. And one of the common associations of these epizonal gold systems is a stibnite association, uh, mm -hmm. for instance. Uh, uh, one analyst that's following us, Mike Gray with uh, Agentis, has, has put out a recent report where he makes some comparisons between uh, the Fosterville project in, in Australia, which is a high-level epizonal type orogenic system that transitions into a coarser gold typical orogenic system, uh, and the Reliance project, where we're still at the upper levels and we haven't transitioned yet into the deeper levels. So I'm kind of beating around the bush a bit, but effectively, uh, it's, it's not unusual for orogenic gold systems um, uh, to have certain, uh, especially the younger orogenic systems, to have brittle deformation portions preserved in them. And those brittle deformation portions are often what are considered the epizonal. So, for instance, the gold mineralization that we've got in our system is actually in a fault breccia, a mineralized fault breccia and sulfidization of the country rock, which is primarily mafic volcanic. That's all re-homogenized into a breccia where there's breccia fragments as well as the matrix are carrying gold. And so it creates really homogenous wide widths uh, right. in these cataclastites or fault breccias. So. Along with the oxidized shears and the quartz uh, stibnite veins, except it, yeah. it must have been difficult to kind of wrap your head around initially. But when when was the moment you kind of say, "Oh, now I got this, and now we know what to look for"? Well, we we recognized it as potential orogenic system the minute we looked at the property, and the reason for that is it's got a very strong iron carbonate alteration system on surface. So the mafic volcanics are typically purple or green. But in, in this area on the property, we've got wide zones of 100 to 300 meter wide zones of this mafic volcanic is so altered with iron carbon, with carbonate, that the iron minerals in the mafic volcanic have now turned to iron carbonate. So you get these wide orange colored oxidation features uh, that form the envelope or the smoke uh, to a very large system over two, two kilometers of, of trend. And hosted within that are these tighter zones of mineralization that are still quite wide themselves. Uh, uh, you know, averaging right now it, it averages about nine point. All our intersections, for instance, up at the Eagle Zone, uh, the average arithmetic intersection we've got it there is seventy-one holes, is nine point six meters width, averaging about five point one seven grams per ton gold. So pretty good. All considering all those seventy-one drill intersections are all less than about. 30 to 40 meters uh, below surface. Yeah, no, that, that, that's interesting. Now, so just in terms of the, the, the district, we've mentioned a couple of mines all, already. Um, and we've also mentioned the fact that you're, you're, the history of the company is, is prospect or project generation. Um, what's the intent here with 
with this project, with, with your BC project? I mean, how far do you, do you move this? How much more money do you need to raise to go and take it to that point? Um, or, 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 what, or what does it need to look like before you would think of, you know, letting someone else um, at this? Well, we see this has got potential to just like Braylon to, to host a multi-million ounce gold system. We're just seeing the top of it. Now we're trying to understand the limits of it. So our, our goal, we feel it's better for us and for our shareholders to create uh, value by discovery uh, at a low discovery cost per ounce. It's better for us to do that discovery uh, ourselves rather than, than farming out or selling this project at this stage. So our goal is to take this to the point where the, uh, uh, to the point where it makes sense uh, to to step back and start doing a resource calculation and prove prove to the world that we've got a plus million ounce gold system here. We haven't reached that stage yet. We're unlikely to reach a resource stage till 2023 at the earliest. Okay. But our goal is to get to the edge of this system, make it bigger, and then then we make the decision after that. Uh, uh, do we do this ourselves? Do we take it all the way to to making it a mine ourselves? Uh, or do we uh, uh, look at uh, all the strategic options? We'll do whatever makes sense for shareholders because we're I'm a big shareholder and two of the other directors are big shareholders. So we want to do what makes sense for us, just like everybody, all of the rest of our shareholders. Okay, so you've done the first bit of that. You made a discovery. That's good news. A lot of people go through their lives not not doing that, and that's fine. So that's good. Um, and when you say oh, when you want to discover the well, it's kind of like again a Canadian phrase, the edge of the envelope, as, as it as it were. These things can go on and on, and different models, have, you know, create different different outcomes and different results for 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 those companies. Do you think you've kind of got the team to go and raise enough of the capital? To be able to do that, you know, because you're going to put out a resource in maybe you talked about 2023 for you can think about putting a resource in place. What, what do you think that needs to look like these days? What size kind of gets the market interested? How far do you have to take that in terms of uh, updates to um, resource numbers? Because it seems that the number seems to be getting bigger. Well, I guess it's a moving target. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I remember when I started in the business with Homestake. Uh, the mandate was, you've got to find a million ounce system. And I, I remember us geologists at the time going, man, that's a hard, uh, you know, that's a hard target. But uh, nowadays, the home stakes, the barracks, well, the barracks, now the barracks and the Newmonts, and they don't want something unless it's like a five, five million ounce system. So, uh, uh, so it's really, as far as we're concerned as a junior mining company, I think if we can move to, to demonstrate that we've got a plus million ounce gold system, uh, that's got lots of potential to grow at depth uh, it, it, in an orogenic type setting because once you're on these orogenic systems, they do continue at depth. That's uh, and the only thing that limits them is the is the economics typically of mining them. So, so our goal is to move this and demonstrate right now that we've got something near surface uh, with the drilling and exploration of a plus million ounce gold system, and then we say, do we continue to build this at depth or do we focus on on the ounces that we can get into production now and knowing that this system will grow as a big system uh, as the mine, if there is a mine that's ever developed on it, if that mine uh, moves forward. Okay, so you can, you've, you're starting the RC stuff, you'll get back into diamond drilling, presumably at some point to kind of try and work out what it is that you've got. What's the next 12 months look like for you, um, 
in, in, you know, in, in terms of how, not just in terms of how you allocate the capital, but in terms of the, the kind of news flow that you want to be able to put out to market? Well, um, we're drilling now. Um, we, we've been diamond drilling and, and we've got five holes completed now and already drilled about a thousand meters. And, and, uh, some of the, the, those results are in the lab and we're waiting for those results. Good. So, okay. uh, uh, we we also went back because this area where we're drilling, we only opened the roads up in October of last year. Uh, so we're back. We did some channel sampling on surface where the zones are exposed on surface, and we still have to uh, wait for those results and report those results too. So that that'll give us a third dimension of horizontal uh, drill hole, so to speak. Uh, okay. I mean, uh, say you've opened the roads. So is it is it kind of? And I, I guess if when you're talking about the Alaska project, you, you could talk about seasonality, but in BC, have you got kind of seasonality to your drilling here as well? Uh, we do to some, some some degree, but we can drive right onto the property year round. Uh, the road, uh, the, the joint access to the property is there. So the ability is there to explore year round. Uh, it's just a snow removal issue at some, some times of the year. For instance, there was quite a bit of snow this past year, but the prior winter, there wasn't a lot of snow. So uh, but we are back drilling uh, this year in April with our RC uh, rig uh, well ahead of, of our, our neighbors uh, and others in the camp, like uh, um, the, the, the company that owns uh, the Braylon Pioneer Mine Talisker, they were drilling year round in the area. So it's, it is possible to drill year round in this area. It's just a snow removal issue um, at certain times. Right. Okay. Robert, I appreciate your time today. And real nice introduction to the company. And I kind of like the, the history and where, where, where it's come from. But more importantly, you, you got yourself a discovery, which you need to kind of work up. And, and as you say, you know, what that million ounce plus uh, and people start looking and um, you go beyond that and it becomes really interesting. So uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Matthew. All the best.